Well, good morning. I'm Mark Carey. If you can't recognize me, that's uh, to your advantage, I guess. When uh, I was pastoring a little church in Nebraska, um, when I first went there, they had uh, wooden pews. And uh, so one of the first things I recommended to the elder board there was to, I, w- I wonder if we could p- put padding, you know, put those pew pads in the, in the, in the pew. Because, of course, the principle is the mind can never accept what the rear end can absorb. And uh, so within a month after I was there, we, put, uh, we bought padding in the, in the pews. Well, it's maybe similar today. Um, people come up with all ex- sorts of excuses to make sure the preacher quits on time. And maybe it's uh, the mind can accept what the skin can absorb. I got fried last week. I don't know about you. I forgot all about sunscreen. So uh, I'm loaded up and... Um, We'll, uh, we'll get into God's Word here, and uh, hopefully you won't fry too much. It, I, I'm reminded of the church where the, every time the pastor got up to preach, he took off his watch and he laid it on the pulpit. You know, you've seen people do that. Finally, a little boy asked his dad one time, he whispered in the service, he said, why does the pastor always do that? It, does it mean anything? And the father said, son, it doesn't mean anything at all. But um, glad you're here, glad you can... Uh, can worship with us, um, and if you're visiting with us, especially, want to welcome you. Uh, you may have seen online that we were having a service, and so you joined us. Or, uh, and for some of you, it's a first time, first time back uh, in a gathering like this, and uh, you know it's it's been a while. So we're glad you are here. I know for um, for one uh, one one gentleman here, uh, this is I think his first time back. And it happens to be uh, his birthday, 95 years old. So, hey, hey happy birthday, Dave Schrader. Good to see you. I'd like to borrow that hat, though, but I'm wearing mine here. You know, Charles Dickens, in his classic 19th century novel, A Tale of Two Cities, uh, which reflects uh, the chaotic times of the French Revolution, he opened his novel with the words, and you maybe remember this, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. A case, I think, could be made that those last paired words of Charles Dickens' novel could fit our times right now. An age of foolishness, an epic of incredulity, a season of darkness, a winter of despair. What a fitting description for our times. Times that try men's souls, as Thomas Paine wrote uh, right at the beginning of the American Revolution. A time that tries men's souls. I suppose we could go back through all church history and Almost any time uh, you could come up with that description, certainly in our day. Unless you've had your head in the sand lately, um, clearly we're living in the age of foolishness, of darkness, and despair. The world needs a fresh vision of the glory of God. It's what we have seen in our study of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, Verse 22, Paul says that the world professes to be wise, but they're fools. They've exchanged the glory 
of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for the glory of himself. The world needs a fresh vision of the glory of God, and they have despised the glory of God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how is the church of Jesus Christ going to provide a fresh vision of the glory of God? What does Christian living look like in a turbulent world, reflecting the glory of God? In a world that's gone mad, how does the church radiate the glory of God in a fallen world? What is the church called to be and do? And uh, as you know, I've suspended our study of the book of Romans for a few weeks. Next week, John Morrison is going to be sharing for a few weeks, and then Don, then Hartog for a few weeks. And we're focusing on this idea of, of the church of Jesus Christ. The family of God in a fallen world. The called out ones. That's the word ecclesia. The called out ones. To radiate the glory of God. What is the church called to be and do? And of course to answer that question we go back to the church. We go back to the word of God and the early church. What, what, what's the model that we have in the scriptures? We need to understand one thing. That in the early church... Um, it was an age of foolishness and darkness and despair, too. Uh, we don't have a corner on turbulent times. And if you don't know that in the early church, then all you have to do is consider the, the 12 apostles and how they ended their life. Peter, crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew, bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. James, he was the first of the apostles. He was beheaded by Herod in 44 AD. Philip, he was crucified at Heriopolis in Phrygia, which is west-central Turkey. Bartholomew, tradition said he was skinned alive and then beheaded. Matthew, he suffered martyrdom by being slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Thomas went to India and then speared to death. James, the son of Alphaeus, some sources said he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot, tradition says he may have been crucified while ministering in Persia. Judas, the son of James, or Thaddeus, some traditions say he was martyred by being executed with arrows from archers. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, tradition says he was executed by arrows as well. Uh, and then beheaded. Of course, John lived to an old age, John the Apostle, but he died on the island of Patmos. First century was a dangerous place. It was not friendly to Jesus. What can we learn from the early church in the midst of troubling time? What, what has God called us to be and do? How do we radiate the glory of God? How do we witness and testify to the great God that we say we worship. The world needs to see the glory of God. But what is the glory of God? That's a, one of those religious phrases. The glory of God. We've talked about this many times, I think, but the, the glory of God is the single greatest impact 
the world has ever seen, has ever experienced, has ever known. When we speak of the glory of God, we're speaking of the sum total of all that God is. It's from the, the word, the actual word in Hebrew is the word that means to be heavy or, or weighty. It's, we use it as when we say, oh boy, that, that name carries a lot of weight. It's the weightiness, it's the heaviness of God. It's, the, it's His infinite worth and value. It's the sum total of all that God is. In the Old Testament, when people came face to face with the reality of the magnificence, with the, with the splendor, with the sum total of all that God is, they were never the same. It left a profound impact. Exodus chapter 33, Moses comes and says, Lord, show me your glory. If you listen real carefully, you might have heard a chuckle from God. Show me your glory. Moses, don't you realize that no one has seen me and lived to tell about it? But what I'll do is I'll pass by. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by. And when my backside passes by you, I'll remove my hand, and you can see the, the remaining remnant of my glory. But my face shall not be seen or you'll die. That's Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses experiences that. And then he gets the commandments of God. God expresses his glory by giving his law, the sum total of who he is. And Moses comes back down from the mountain. Remember the story? And he had to cover his face. Why? Because it shone with brilliance, the glory of God. He was never the same. Or 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon is um, tasked with building the great temple to the Lord God. And after completing the temple, they dedicated the temple, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed their face to the ground and they worshiped and they gave praise to God. Truly he's good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. They saw a little glimpse of the glory of God and they were awestruck and they fall on their faces before they, a, 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 a little bit of a display of the brilliance of God. Truly He's good. Truly His loving kindness is everlasting. When God's glory is seen, it leaves a profound impact upon anyone who sees it. You don't walk away from seeing the glory of God without being profoundly forever changed. Remember Isaiah again, chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was there in the temple. Seraphim stood above him, having six wings. He covered his face with two. He flew with two. He covered his feet with two. And one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his radiant glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. And the temple was filling up with smoke. And Isaiah hit the ground. I'm a sinful man. My eyes have seen the glory of God. 
profoundly changed. Let me go to Peter. Peter encounters Jesus Christ, but it really never changed his life until a few weeks after his first encounter with Jesus. And Luke chapter 5 records it. And it's in that scene, you remember, where Jesus comes and says, hey, put your nets on the other side for a catch. Well, we've worked hard all night, Lord, and we haven't caught a thing. But all right, after your bidding, I will do it. And Peter puts his nets on the other side of the boat, and you know the story. And he catches this huge catch of fish. The boats begin to sink. The nets begin to break. What does Peter do? He falls to his knees, and he says, depart from me, O Lord. Man, I'm a sinful man. He came face to face with the glory of God, and his life was forever changed. And Luke records in verse 11, I think it is, he said, and Peter left everything and followed Jesus from that day on. But when we come to the New Testament epistles, in, in that epistolary literature, the, the letters of Paul and, and, and Peter and John, we see that God's glory was to be revealed in, in a completely new way. The glory of the Lord and God's infinite eternal plan was to be manifested some, some way totally different than in the past. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. Let me read it to you. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. And remember when Moses came down from that mountain, he put that veil because he had seen the glory or a bit of the glory of God and his face shone. But as time went on, the glory began to fade. He veiled himself because it was fading. Verse 14 says, But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. And then Paul writes this, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let me read that to you again. We all with unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Fortunately, we didn't have to spend a lot of time this morning before a mirror to get ready for church. I mean, obviously, right? It's outside, windblown, whatever. But maybe typically we would spend a little extra time, you know, before the mirror. You're looking intently, you know, what, what, what's happening here? What's, where did that come from, you know? And, and is the hair right? And we look intently at the mirror. 2,000 years ago, people were doing the same thing, and Paul is saying, let me use that as an analogy. As believers in Jesus Christ, when we turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away, and we with unveiled faces are beholding, like in a mirror, studying intently 
What are we studying? What are we to look at? What are we to see? The glory of the Lord. The perfections, the brilliance, the splendor of God. We are to study God. We are to understand who He is. We are to become intimately acquainted with God. We are beholding, as it were, in a mirror, the glory of God. Yes, that which put people on the pavement, on the ground, when they beheld the glory of God. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, are to behold the glory of God. And then what does Paul say? And we're being transformed. When we do that, we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. That's through the Word of God. That's how we come to know God. As we come face to face with the reality of who God is and the splendor of His person, the magnificence of His ways, it impacts our life, Paul is saying. We come away, just like in the Old Testament, beholding the glory of God. And when we really see the splendor of God, the Bible says, we're never the same again. You can never be the same when you come face to face with the reality of the living God. Looking intently through His Word. We're transformed into that same image. And we become changed transformed from glory to glory to greater glory we ourselves as followers of jesus christ god wants to transform us from glory to glory to glory to conform us in the image of his son why so that we'll radiate the glory of god to a world so that he'll shine through us so that his image will be, will be conformed to his image and his image will flow through us and we will be like him and the people will see. They'll see the glory of God as the church of Jesus Christ is transformed from glory to glory. And so we keep reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we don't lose heart. We renounce the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. By the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience on the sight of God. Because even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving, so that they don't see the light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The world doesn't see it. All around here in this community today, people are blinded. They don't see the greatness of God. They're going about their life today as if God wasn't even in the plans of their life. God is so marginalized in people's lives. He's not making an impact because they're not seeing the glory. It's been veiled. It's been hidden. They're blinded. But Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. We ourselves, we preach as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
That light, that glory that has been shining in our hearts the moment we trusted Christ as our personal Savior. That light of glory, as we are increasingly transformed, as we intently know Him, we're transformed from glory to glory so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God will be seen. And then Paul adds, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. We have this surpassing great treasure. The presence of God who indwells us the moment we trust Him as our personal Savior. And as we look intently through His Word and study and know Him and grow more intimate in relationship with Him, we can be transformed and, and from glory to glory and, and shaped into that same image. And we can, in this old cracked pot, this old clay pot, that treasure can be manifested out and we give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to the world. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9. We proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. When God's glory is shown, impact happens. Transformational impact takes place. Christ is calling His church to engage our world with the glory of God, with the brilliance and magnificence of God proclaiming Him. Paul says, by the way, in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 4, he says, for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, you know, even to the Corinthian church who were so messed up in so many ways, he's saying, look, the body of Christ is doing something in this world because people are giving thanks. It's abounding thanks to the glory of God. People are coming to understand, wow, what a great God. I thought your God, I, I, I never wanted your God, but I see how he works in your life. And it's abounding to the glory of God. Here's the bottom line. Until our lives are transformed by the glory of God, we'll never be able to radiate His glory in the world. The church of Jesus Christ must continue to look intently as in a mirror and behold the glory of God. We have got to become enamored with who God is. And when we see God and He changes us, it it automatically begins to radiate out of our life. It oozes out of us and people see it and it abounds to thanksgiving to the glory of God. Unless I'm changed, my world will never be changed. The church's calling is to radiate and reflect the glory of God. In the Old Testament, he showed up in his glory and people hit the ground. In the last 2,000 years, God says, my program is to show up my glory in your life, in my church. We are 
the means by which the glory of God is radiated in the world. Here's one final question. What does that look like in my life? What, what happens when all of a sudden God gets greater hold of my life and he starts radiating out his, his glory through me? What's it look like? How do I know it's being manifested in my life? Well, we read the passage earlier this morning in our worship time. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did John say? We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And then he adds two little descriptors. Full of grace and truth. We saw it, John said. Oh, he wasn't much to see physically. There wasn't anything about Jesus that you would be attracted to. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Like one one that men would hide their face from. Oh, he wasn't pretty. But he was God. And we saw the glory of God. And it was full of grace and truth. We saw him touch a leper. When everyone else recoiled. And he healed them. The leper saw the glory of God. And he was never the same. John says, we saw him love and accept the ostracized and the oppressed. We couldn't believe it, but he, he went there to that prostitute and he loved her. And she was forever changed. We saw him call the socially, racially marginalized at that Samaritan well. And we saw him not only impact one life, he impacted a whole town, a whole city. We saw him set those that were captive by Satan, and we saw him be set free. And their lives forever changed. We saw Jesus respond to people with irresistible grace and speak irrefutable truth. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. And people were changed. And he wants to reproduce his life in his church through the power of the Holy Spirit, to reflect His glory, to reach out into a world that is hurting with grace while we speak truth. Not to be in our holy huddles, but to be the the family of God in a fallen world. One final thought, by the way. We're not going to get it done this side of heaven. We can make a profound difference wherever the church of Jesus Christ shows up. We can make a profound difference. But the job is not going to get done until, as Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 35, one day the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with the rejoicing and shout for joy 
The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted then, strengthen the feeble, and say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not, behold, your God comes. And as Habakkuk tells us in Habakkuk 2.14, then the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Last book in the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 10, 11 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of, of crystal clear jasper. One day God is going to reassert his glory and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess it. One day God's glory is going to be manifested throughout all his creation. But until that day comes, he says, church, Church, I've got a mission. Know me. Get to know who I am. Familiarize yourself. Look intently like you do in a mirror every morning. Study me. Understand my heart, my ways. And allow my spirit to transform you from glory to glory into my image and then radiate that image to the world. The angels looked and wondered, a band of sinners forgiven and raised to glorious stature as the church, the bride of heaven, no worth within themselves, no cause to love or care, but Christ, the God-man did so, the glory to declare. The church, God's blessed redeemed one, set free to radiate his fame. Will they now bestow him honor and proclaim his glorious name? Let the church be the church, the family of God in a fallen world. We have too wonderful of a God to keep hidden. I want you to bow your heads right now in just a moment of, of just quiet. Because we need to do business with the Lord. We need to take a little time and, and just a few moments and talk with Him. Like Moses, I want you to say in the heart of hearts, your heart of hearts, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show us your glory and, and the wonder of creation. Show me through the lives of other believers. Show me, Lord, when I come for corporate worship. Show me in the quietness, in the moment, in my aloneness. Show me your glory, God. I need a fresh vision. And then ask him to transform you from glory to glory. Lord God, I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to be the same old church member. You've called me, God. I've got a mission. I've got a purpose. 
and to radiate your glory to this world, O Father. Transform me. And then thirdly, tell the Lord, and so Lord, open my mouth. As you open my eyes to see, open my mouth to proclaim. Through my words, through my actions that are consistent with your word, so that what I'm doing and saying is bringing you glory. Lord, open my eyes. Open my mouth. I want to see your glory. And I want to radiate it to the world. Let's take a moment. Show me your glory, Father. Father God, may this just encourage our hearts to continue. For many people here, it's a continuation. It's spurring us on to greater affections for you. Father, I pray a blessing over this congregation that's here today, that's listening online. Your church that's scattered even around this country, around this world, who listens to this online. Father, uh, thank you for your desire to use us, for entrusting to this clay pot, these clay pots, the, the magnificent treasure of who you are, of the radiance of your glory. <laughs> Father, even, in fact, isn't that true? The more cracked we are, the more broken we become, the, more, the less of ourselves because of uh, the pain and maybe suffering and the brokenness of life the more it, it just, you just shine through us. And so, Father, help us to continue to get to know you, whom to know is life eternal. And may we pass that on to a world who is living in foolishness, darkness, and despair. And we'll give you praise and glory, Father, for whatever you do through your church. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.